Hey everyone, Saul Marquez here. Have you launched your podcast already and discovered what a pain it could be to keep up with editing, production, show notes, transcripts, and operations? What if you could turn over the keys to your podcast busy work while you do the fun stuff like expanding your network and taking the industry stage? Let us edit your first episode for free so you can experience the freedom. Visit smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. That's smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. Hey, everybody. Saul Marquez is here, and welcome back to the Outcomes Rocket. Today, I have the privilege of hosting Dr. Amy Baxter once again. If you haven't heard our podcast interviews with her, one of my favorite guests that we've had on the show, episode 426, where she talks about the work that she's doing with her company, Vibracool. The product is, is phenomenal. Buzzy, another one episode 426, and then also episode 520, where she goes deep on COVID-19 and some of the things that we should be thinking about. Just a ton of really good content. Check those out if you haven't already. But she founded Pain Care Labs in 2006 to eliminate unnecessary pain. She invented Vibracool vibrational cryotherapy for tendinitis and to decrease opioid use. And her buzzy device has blocked needle pain for over 35 million procedures. This is key in what we're going to talk about today around COVID and vaccination. After Yale and Emory Medical School, she trained in pediatrics, child abuse, and emergency pediatrics. Federally funded for needle pain and fear, opioid use, and neuromodulation research, she publishes and lectures on, needles, on needle fear, sedation, and pain. Scientific contributions include hepatic enzyme algorithm to time child abuse, creating and validating the barf nausea scale for kids with cancer, identifying the cause of the needle phobia increase and buzzy and vibracool. She's spoken on TEDMED. She's done TEDx talks. Bottom line, she's phenomenal. And we're going to talk about some really great things today around COVID-19, needle fear, and a lot of her research that she's actually doing and has done and is helping our, our nation with today with the, with the vaccination. So Amy, welcome back. Oh, man, I feel so ADHD listening to that list. <laughs> well, you got a lot on your plate. You you're certainly always keep things interesting, and I appreciate you for that. And the listeners appreciate you for that. So talk to us a little bit about what you've got going on. Uh, you know, we we sort of got reconnected with this topic of Neofear. So why don't you introduce your work there and the relevance today? Sure, sure. Well, you know, for anybody who's heard before, the story thus far was that I invented a device that used mechanical vibration to block needle pain, got a grant for it, found that it also decreased other pain, kind of did some work with needle fear, needle pain, and found that Americans really didn't care that much. So that's why I did the TED Talks. That's why I did the TEDx is to raise awareness of the fact that the way we are vaccinating kids causes adults to stay afraid of needles. But because I've got this company and this product, I moved on to Vibracool opioid stuff. And all of a sudden, needle pain is relevant again. Yeah, well, it is. And uh, it's a big deal today because we've got two vaccines available as of now. We've got one more coming with the J&J. &J, and more and more people are getting the vaccine. Many are not. And so talk to us a little bit about your research. I'd love to hear more about it and how it is impacting people's willingness to get vaccinated today. Sure. Well, the cool thing is that I've actually been asked to testify for the Department of Health and Human Services on needle fear and needle pain. It had never been an issue before, and it probably wouldn't have been an issue if the strains of COVID-19 
stayed the way they were. If the R naught, if that transmissibility number was at two or even 2.5, we only would have needed 60% of the population to be vaccinated. With the B117, with the South African variants, all of a sudden now, you're talking about needing 70%, 75% of the population to be vaccinated. The issue with that is that 20% of people said they're not getting a vaccine anyway, no how. And this means that you need to start working on those people that may get one, but not get the second one. So that's where all of a sudden it became important to really look at needle fear, needle dread, fainting, anxiety, pain, all of these issues that may be enough of a barrier to someone that they're not going to get that second vaccine. And then they're only 50% covered. Or for the people who are going to freak out and don't get the first vaccine, not because they think there's a conspiracy or not because they're afraid of your immune system and their body being co-opted by space aliens with lasers, but because they just can't bring themselves to stand getting that first shot. Yeah, no. And the, the obstacle is there. And obviously it takes a pandemic to make some, some differences in a lot of ways, right? On the digital health front, wow, what we're seeing in telemedicine and, and telehealth and, and digital health and needle fear. Mm-hmm. So, well, you know, you don't see what you don't see, right? So doctors mm-hmm. don't see the people who have needle fear because they don't come to the doctor. And pharmacists don't see the adults who are afraid of needles because those aren't the ones who come voluntarily to get their shots. We started in 2009 looking at a device to block needle pain. What we found that was fascinating was that the 10 to 12-year-olds who were supposed to about 25% of them were supposed to be afraid of needles, about 10% of adults. But when we looked at the buzzy or needle pain and asked these kids how afraid of needles they were, 95% of them said they were afraid of needles, which is crazy. It was way more than it should have been. So part of the grant that we got from the SBIR, the National Institutes of Health Small Business Innovation Grant, we went back to these kids' vaccine history. Did you know that up until 1983, there were only six injections on the vaccine schedule? Only six pokes. Up until 1983, that's, I was born in 69. So Mm -hmm. I would have only gotten six injections. You got them all before you were two years old and we didn't remember. So we think Mm -hmm. we're cool and we think that everybody else who's afraid of needles is wimpy. But the reality is that kids born in the year 2000, which is when our studies kids were born, they got 36 separate injections before they were six. Is that right? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So all these 28% of adults are afraid of needles now. And the reason is because we started giving kids a lot of injections on the same day when they were old enough to remember. It's not so, even the 36 shots. It's it's just the ones when you're old enough to after remember. Two. So before two, you got six. Yeah. And, now they get and, 21. So now it's 21 before two? Yeah, but that's okay. Honestly, you can stick them like a pincushion before they're two. It's important. We're saving lives. Yeah. They don't remember. And that's the and that's the factor here. Yeah. Gotcha. How does your your buzzy work then? To you know, there's the psychological factor, and then there's the actual pain factor. So, like, I mean, let's talk about those two. Yeah, and it turns out it's even more complicated. We have learned so much in the last ten years about how pain is perceived and what actually impacts both compliance with injections and also with pain. It turns out that the buzzy, it uses a very specific frequency that jams the pain nerve. So it's like if you bump your elbow and you rub it, 
or if you bang your hand with a hammer and you shake it, you don't feel pain. What you're doing is you're stimulating this one specific A beta nerve that has the ability to block out pain and it responds to a specific frequency. So Buzzy uses that frequency, blocks out pain by vibrating on your arm while you're getting the shot so you don't feel it. Okay, cool. Except that a lot of kids still freaked out even with just having an alcohol swab wiped on their arm. So like you said, it's not the pain, it's something else. What we identified for kids is that it's this combination of pain, fear, and how much focus they have. A lot of people early on thought Buzzy was a distraction because I made it cute because I'm a pediatrician, but the reality is that it helps to have some other distraction. Buzzy does the pain part, but you need to have something to stare at, something to look at, something to make you laugh, to trick your brain into not perceiving a threat. Pain is a threat, but if your brain is concentrated on a game, then you don't perceive the pain as much because it's not a threat. Like if you're running and you twist your ankle and you're almost going to win, your team's ahead. So you get up and you keep moving and you don't really feel how much your ankle hurts until after the game's over. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, and then there's there's things like virtual reality or augmented reality for pain. What are, what are your what are your thoughts on that? So the distraction part that virtual reality does is exactly the same thing that you could do yourself if you're afraid of needles by looking at a sentence on the wall and counting how many letters have circles in them. So if you're doing something that's outside the norm and you're completely absorbed in it and it takes a lot of effort, that is enough distraction to reduce pain 50%. So virtual reality is using the anterior cingulate gyrus, anterior cingulate cortex, some would say it's the, it's the place where your brain evaluates risk and it sets up problem solving. You can't do a math problem to distract yourself from pain because solving problems is in a different area of the brain. But the place that's analyzing, am I at risk from this pain is also the same place that's analyzing, how do I win this game? Or how do I count those letters gotcha. that actually, I'm not counting all the letters, I'm just counting some of the letters. So virtual reality is fantastic. Buzzy actually in one study was found to be as effective as virtual reality for decreasing needle right. pain. But that's fascinating. And so let's dive deeper into this. So you've got this device that can help. There's a lot of education that has to happen though, right? I mean, there's a lot that has to happen there. Yeah. Well, and of course, step one, identify the problem. Mm -hmm. Nobody really cares about kids and needle pain in this country because you can hold them down. And so it's not a, a problem that's been recognized until now. Once you have lived with needle fear your whole life, it becomes a lot more difficult as a 30-year-old to then be told you need to go in front of strangers and get two vaccines a month apart. And if anything goes wrong, anything, if someone makes you ashamed, if someone says, yeah, you better sit there, this is really going to hurt, anything like that's going to be hard. So I think that the great thing about the HHS having its vaccine advisory committee meeting is that they're acknowledging that there is a problem. The second thing is, so Buzzy is not going to be the end all and be all for everyone. It is a source of control that's important. It is a source of pain relief. It does seem to block the vasovagal response. So that passing out thing. But a lot of people who are older and have lived with needle fear for a long time, they're as much afraid of that rising panic that's going to embarrass them in front of people. So anything that they can do that can work it is helpful. We got a, a Twitter, actually, somebody on Twitter two days ago said, Buzzy helps. You helped me keep my dignity intact when I got vaccinated in front of complete strangers over 30 years dealing with my trauma. And today I walk out feeling more free than I ever have before. Thank you. 
And that's the thing. It's not the pain necessarily. It's the fact that these people are ashamed and they have been made fun of and they know they need to get healthcare and they're not. So the pain is less the big deal, but the training is going to be important. So that's why having a a national forum and making people who give vaccines for a living aware that we have made a generation of young people more likely to be afraid of needles. And there are ways to back people off of that ledge, but we've got to be empathetic about all of the different kinds of needle fear there are in adults. Yeah, that is so fascinating. And some of the perspective that you've given us, Amy, is is very interesting, you know, like like this whole transition from kids in the timeframes and how, mon- how many more vaccines we get or, or shots that we get. And then beyond that age where you actually remember, I didn't know that. And, well, and people don't. You know, we assume the same thing happened to us that happened to our kids, that happened to our parents. It's been a very radical, healthy addition of uh, injection. When was that cut off? Or, or you, you mentioned a year. I think you said 2000, but I think that was just the year that your study patients were. Well, there's two big numbers that I talk about. One is 1983, when we started adding boosters when kids were old enough to remember. The second year is 2000, because what happened in 2000 was we changed oral polio vaccines to injected polio. So that added four more doses. And we added flu down to age six months. So we're adding a yearly dose of flu at age four, five, and six. And we're adding the injected polio sometime between four, five, and six. And we have all of the other boosters between four, five, and six. This is what we found in our study that was interesting. The kids whose parents were like, oh, I don't want them to get too many shots on one day because it'll hurt their immune system. It doesn't hurt your immune system. But those kids got resilient. None of those kids were in the highest quartile of fear as pre-adolescents. The people who got two injections and their parents brought them back for a couple different times, even with two, only 9% of those kids were afraid of needles five years later. But the kids who they're like, oh, let's get it over with. Let's get them all done on the same day. If you got four or five injections on the same day, 50% of those kids were severely afraid of needles five years later. And we followed them another three years and they were two and a half times less likely to finish their HPV series. And I guarantee you, those are the ones who are going to be a problem getting their second COVID vaccine. Yeah, that is fascinating. So tons of misinformation about how to address this fear. Amy, talk to us about how to address it. How do we, how do we do it? Cool. Well, so if you want to talk about how to use Buzzy, which is a part and can be a part, but doesn't have to be the only part. So it's a vibrating device. It's got an ice pack that you can use that does extra pain relief. If that's your issue, you put it on the site about 60 seconds. And then while you get the shot, you slide it up a little bit. So it keeps disrupting those nerves while the needle goes in. And then you can rub it over the site afterwards. Now, this does two things. It helps with any pain that's residual. It helps block any kind of feelings of lightheadedness. But it also seems to be helping all of the nurses who are using it, their COVID shots, not get sore arm. So this is one thing I'm really hoping is that we can incorporate this in at least some of the centers with the VSAFE app that's being used to track vaccine side effects to see if indeed using Buzzy can stop that that sore arm thing. But otherwise, for for people for whom pain is not as big a deal, control is a big deal. So having a time to go, having a person go with you, being able to have someone to help you distract at the time of the injection itself, If fainting is an issue for you, then being able to either bring a seat 
or having a place in the vaccine area where you can sit down. For people who faint a lot, you can eat a lot of salt the day before or salty foods and then drink a 16 ounces of water about an hour before the injection. So the salt helps you keep it in your veins and then the water helps your blood pressure not drop while you're getting the injection. Other things that are important are being able to control the situation, uh, so not being seen by other people, having a place that you can choose, having a distraction you can choose, and above all, having empathetic people that are vaccinating that listen. One of the biggest things I hear is people say, look, I know what happens. I'm going to pass out unless you don't tell me when you're about to stick, and I'm going to look over there, and I'm going to squeeze my stomach so I don't pass out. And then what does the person do? They say, all right, here comes the stick. And then every person is afraid loses it. Yeah. So it's a, it's a complicated and not everything fits for everyone. But being able to let individuals choose what they want, choose pain control and make it as fast and understanding as possible. That's really part of what we're going to have to do to chip away at those additional 10 to 20 percent who aren't going to get their first or second vaccine. Some really helpful tips. Thank you for that, Dr. Baxter. I think it's a fascinating uh, approach. And I think one that that we need to be very, very conscious about whether you're a patient to know what exactly you want, because you are, you're going to need the vaccine. Or if you're a provider and you just want to, you know, be understanding and, and understand some of these things that you could recommend to your patients. I think it's uh, critical. And so we really appreciate this perspective that you've given us today. What should we walk away with? What do we keep in mind as we, you know, work to get our loved ones the vaccine, ourselves? What do you, what do you want to leave us with? I will feel like a success on Thursday evening if these things happen with my testimony. First, if we realize that we do need to pay attention to four to six-year-old injections and decrease the pain and the trauma. Trauma sounds so hard for an adult who's not afraid of needles, but as the quote I just read you said, these kids grow up and are really traumatized by their shame and their fear. So if we can change the way we do vaccinations, keeping them in that four to six year period, we don't have to change the vaccine schedule at all. We've just got more flexibility or we address the pain. Second thing, getting a vaccine is the only way we're going to get back to normal life. And we will, we are going to get back to normal life. But if we do it in summer of 2021, or we do it in 2023, that depends on everybody who can getting vaccinated. So this is something that a lot of people have let their fear of vaccines come from a fear of pain. And so they're coming up with all these reasons why they don't want to get vaccinated. And if those people can realize that there's some part of a bad experience that is contributing to that, maybe they can let those things go to go ahead and get the vaccine and help everybody in society. And the third thing is, if you are one of the 68% of people that are not afraid of needles, quit feeling so proud of yourself. It is not something you did that made you awesome. It is that you had a really different experience than a lot of other people did. So if we can quit making, whether you're afraid of needles, a weakness or a pride or a moral thing, and accept that this is the only time in humanity where we regularly give small children sharp sticks from their parents. That's the last 200 years. Before that, the last 100 years, we didn't do it. So it's, it's a new thing for humans and we're learning how to do it right. So let's be a little 
grace filled for the people that are afraid of needles and instead figure out how we can all work together to get all of us past this virus and on to seeing each other in person, going out for drinks and giving hugs. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, you know, uh, you do such a nice job of, of taking a step back and giving us the macro view of some of these really challenging topics. So just want to say thank you. Thank you for the work that you do. And, and on behalf of all of us, thanks for what you're going to do here in a couple of days to hopefully make an impact for our kids and everybody in our country uh, moving forward. So thanks. Thanks again. It's going to be fine. So thank you so much for what you do. And thank you for having me. Hey, Outcomes Rocket listeners, Saul Marquez here. I get what a phenomenal asset a podcast could be for your business and also how frustrating it is to navigate editing and production, monetization, and achieving the ROI you're looking for. Technical busy work shouldn't stop you from getting your genius into the world though. You should be able to build your brand easily with a professional podcast that gets attention. A patched up podcast could ruin your business. Let us do the technical busy work behind the scenes while you share your genius on the mic and take the industry stage. Visit smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. That's smoothpodcasting.com to learn more.